Well, last week we studied the events of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. The day the Holy Spirit regenerated the first believers, making them born again and joining them together as the church. This week we want to circle back to verse 4 because it touches on an issue that to this day causes confusion and controversy within the church, the greater church, not this church specifically. In verse 4, we read, Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The question at hand today is, what exactly are these different tongues? And what do they look like today? if they exist today. Verse 4 makes a few things clear right off the bat. Firstly, tongues comes from the Holy Spirit. It says they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. The second thing we notice right away is that tongues is the believer being supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak a language unknown to them. The original word translated throughout the book of Acts as tongues is the Greek word for languages. Now the most popular explanations offered for the gift of tongues are firstly, it's the supernatural ability to speak in an earthly foreign language that you don't know. For example, I'm in Japan, the Holy Spirit supernaturally comes upon me and I'm suddenly able to praise God in Japanese. Most people who hold this view are known as cessationists regarding the gift of tongues. They believe the gift of tongues actually ceased at a certain point in history, generally held to be with the death of the final uppercase A apostles, which occurred around the end of the first century A.D., Those who have this view believe that tongues was a special, miraculous gift that God gave to the early church, primarily to enable cross-cultural ministry. So Philip could go somewhere like India, and he could speak Hindi, or whatever version of Hindi they were speaking back at the end of the first century. That's what some people believe about the gift of tongues. Another second popular view on tongues within the evangelical church sounds something like this. Tongues is not an earthly language, but a heavenly supernatural language. And if you come from a charismatic or a Pentecostal church background, as I do, you'll be familiar with this. It's the belief that when God gives a person the gift of tongues, they can pray and speak in a language that no one on earth can understand on their own because it's a language from the heavenly realms. The only way a person other than the speaker can understand it is if God provides the complementary gift of the interpretation of tongues. Then the person with the gift of interpretation can tell everyone else present what the person with the gift of tongues was saying. And if you've never heard of the whole heavenly language idea, then you're thinking, what kind of church did I just walk into? And I just want to reassure you that we've locked the doors, so there's no point trying to make a getaway now. You might as well just listen to the rest of the message, okay? (laughs) 
but really do hang with us because we're going to do our best to bring some clarity to the somewhat strange issue of tongues. This is not going to be the authoritative message on the gift of tongues. This is not going to be the final word on the subject of the gift of tongues. No message should be viewed that way on any subject. My hope is always that we can bring some clarity to some confusing parts of Scripture and that we can all leave having taken a significant leap forward in our understanding of the Scriptures and how the Lord desires to work in this specific way. When BJ and I were preparing to get into Acts chapter 2 and study the book of Acts, we knew that this study was going to hit on a whole bunch of issues around which there is much confusion in the church. We're talking about stuff like the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gift of tongues, spiritual gifts, being filled with the Spirit, all that stuff. And we really wanted to approach the book of Acts by stripping everything down to the studs and asking questions like, Where do my beliefs come from on these issues? Do they come from the Bible? Do they come from my upbringing and my church tradition? Does the Bible support what I currently believe about these kinds of issues? Or am I elevating my personal opinions, church traditions, and experiences above Scripture? These are the most critical kinds of questions to ask when you're searching for the truth. If we believe something that the Bible doesn't teach, that's a problem. We need to have logical and scriptural reasons for what we believe because newsflash, our emotions lie to us all the time. All the time. Side note, my prayer for every Christian is That if someone ever says to you, why are you a Christian? That you have more to offer them by ways of an answer than, well, I just knew. I went to church and I just had this, this overwhelming, tingly feeling and I just knew that God was real. And the reason I say this is because, you know, people in other religions have that testimony too. You know that the Buddhist says the same thing. The First Nations person could say the same thing. The Muslim could say the same thing. The person who goes to a concert who knows how to arrange music and use lights and visuals can say the same thing. My prayer for all of us is that we grow in our knowledge and understanding and reasoning skills so that we can offer people a better answer than I just know. That we can offer them the best answer, which is I'm a Christian because it's true. That's why I'm a Christian. And here's how I know it's true. And this was a very scary proposition for me going into this study, asking these kinds of difficult questions, because I believe tongues is a heavenly language. I believe I have the gift of tongues and that I've been practicing it for 25 years. So as I started studying for this message, I had to be willing to face the question, what if I've been wrong for 25 years? What if I've just been deluding myself And I've been over here praying boom shakalaka over and over again for over two decades. Now, if you believe you have the gift of tongues, the nervousness that you're currently feeling is a small part of what I felt going into this study. But I hope we all understand that the truth of God's word always takes precedent over everything. 
It's even more important than my personal embarrassment or yours. And now you're even more nervous. Don't be. Let's get into this. The book of Acts is, by definition, extraordinary. It is extraordinary. It documents the birth and the early years of the church. It records the, the Jews and the Gentiles being brought together to create a new people of God. It captures the ministry of the apostles who spread the gospel across the world with supernatural empowerment that was, by any measure, not duplicated outside of the first century. For this reason, we must be cautious in understanding the difference between descriptive texts and prescriptive texts. This is a core principle of Bible interpretation, of understanding the Bible rightly. Discerning the difference between descriptive texts that chronicle history. In other words, they describe what happened and prescriptive texts in the Bible that are commands, prescriptions, instructions, or models of what we, as followers of Jesus, are called to follow. For example, in the case of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we do not have to meet in an upper room to be born again, regenerated, and receive the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to be the day of Pentecost. And when we're born again, there doesn't have to be the sound of a violent rushing wind and or the appearance of something like a flame of fire above our head. All of those elements of the text are descriptive. If you read the Old Testament, it talks about someone having more than one wife. Not prescriptive. Descriptive. When it talks about somebody murdering their enemy, descriptive, not prescriptive. Let the record show that we teach that here at Gospel City Church. However, we do, as they did in Acts chapter 2, receive the Holy Spirit when we are regenerated and born again. And like them, we do have access to the power of God through his spirit. And we are now part of his church as they were made part of his church. Those elements of the text are prescriptive. In the book of Acts, we see the gift of tongues appear in four extraordinary, extraordinary cases. Three times explicitly and once implicitly. This is all on your outline. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the first Jewish believers are regenerated and they speak in tongues. In Acts chapter 8, the first Samaritans, the first half-Jews, are regenerated and the text implies that they spoke in tongues. In Acts chapter 10, the first Gentiles are regenerated and speak in tongues. In Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, disciples of John the Baptist are regenerated and speak in tongues after Paul shares with them about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. These are the only four places the gift of tongues appears in the book of Acts, and they are all extraordinary. In the upper room, the purpose of tongues was to make it clear to those first 120 believers that the same thing was happening to each of them. 
The same Holy Spirit was being equally distributed to all who believed. The Lord also used the gift of tongues to attract a crowd who Peter will preach the gospel to, beginning in Acts chapter 2, 14. When Peter and John traveled to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, the wording and Simon's reaction imply that they witnessed the first Samaritans speaking in tongues because God wanted to make it clear that he wasn't only giving salvation and his spirit to Jews, he was also giving it to the Samaritans. And so the Lord reproduced the sign of tongues to make it clear that he would do the same thing for Samaritans that he did for Jews on the day of Pentecost. They too were part of the church. The household of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 are the first Gentiles to speak in tongues because God wanted to make it clear to the disciples that he was not only giving salvation and his spirit to Jews and Samaritans, he was giving it to the Gentiles. He was actually giving it to anyone who wanted it. Everyone was invited to be part of the church. And then in Acts chapter 19, we find the followers of John the Baptist. They had responded to his preaching, repented and been baptized in preparation and expectation of the coming Messiah that John preached. But they were not regenerated until they heard the gospel of Jesus preached to them by Paul, making it clear that there cannot be regeneration apart from the gospel. Even today, some people have never heard the gospel, and yet they're saved because they responded to the revelation that they have received. They've responded to the general revelation of God in creation, and they've recognized there must be a creator, and the creator is not anything that I can carve out of wood. And they've responded to their internal moral conscience given to them by God. They recognize that things are inherently right and wrong and that they should do what is right. And yet they are not regenerated because they have not yet heard and received the gospel. We see this clear pattern across these four extraordinary instances of the gospel reaching out further and further ethnically, culturally, and geographically. Jewish believers in Jerusalem, Samaritans in Samaria, Gentile believers in Caesarea, and disciples of John in Ephesus. Each of these situations, I think, is clearly extraordinary. And for that reason, we should be very cautious about what we call descriptive and prescriptive regarding the gift of tongues in the book of Acts. Write this down. This is what I'm going to suggest to you. The primary purpose of tongues in the book of Acts is to establish doctrine. The primary purpose of tongues in the book of Acts is to establish doctrine. The Holy Spirit is given equally to all who believe upon regeneration, Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is given equally to Samaritans and Jews, Acts chapter 8. The Holy Spirit is given equally to Jews, Samaritans, and Gentiles, Acts chapter 10. The Holy Spirit is given where people respond to the gospel, Acts chapter 19. I believe the purpose of tongues in the book of Acts is to establish doctrine 
in the early church. Jesus is making a point about how regeneration and his spirit work in every single one of these instances. If all we're going on is the book of Acts, we need to acknowledge that there would seem to be no purpose, no reason for tongues to continue once those doctrines have been established in the church. Furthermore, if you study the four places where tongues are documented in the book of Acts, you will discover that the evidence for tongues being foreign earthly languages that are foreign to the speaker is far more robust than the evidence for it being a heavenly language. In fact, any evidence for tongues being a heavenly language is almost non-existent in the book of Acts. That's just the truth of what the text says. And before we go any further, I just want to remind those who believe they have the gift of tongues to relax their shoulders, unclench their jaws, take a deep breath, you're okay. We're all going to be okay. Hang with me. The gift of tongues is talked about extensively in one other place in the Bible. The Apostle Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth. That letter was written about two decades after the events documented in the book of Acts. And that's significant because while the book of Acts documents tongues in extraordinary circumstances, 1 Corinthians was written to a local church. And it consists of Paul giving them teaching and instruction on how the gift of tongues is to function in their personal lives and their corporate gatherings. Here's what I'm suggesting. The book of Acts addresses tongues in a primarily descriptive manner. 1 Corinthians addresses tongues in a primarily prescriptive manner. That's why the Lord had Paul write to a local church about the issue. It's why these sections of 1 Corinthians are in our Bible. They're instructive for us, the local church, outside of the extraordinary events in the book of Acts. So if we want to learn what tongues is and how it's intended by God to work, we should primarily study 1 Corinthians. So write this down. The book of Acts deals with tongues in a primarily descriptive manner, while 1 Corinthians deals with it in a primarily prescriptive manner. Another reason I hold that view is because when you study 1 Corinthians, it becomes clear that the gift of tongues was functioning differently in the local church 20 years later than it was in the extraordinary circumstances and events in the book of Acts. To telegraph where we're going, I'm going to tell you the two significant differences, and then we'll unpack them. The first difference is this. The gift of tongues seems to refer to earthly languages in the book of Acts and a heavenly language in 1 Corinthians. The second big difference is that there is no interpretation of tongues needed or mentioned in the book of Acts. In 1 Corinthians, the interpretation of tongues is listed as a manifestation of the Spirit alongside tongues. 
Now let's get into some of the, the scriptural reasons why I believe that tongues is a heavenly language. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10, all these are going to be on your outlines to so follow along. Paul writes, a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. To one is given a message of wisdom through the Spirit. To another, a message of knowledge by the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the performing of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, interpretation of tongues. And all of those things are considered gifts of the Spirit, and we're going to study all of them in a couple of weeks, by the way. But notice the first five words of verse 7. God's Word declares that all of these things are manifestations of the Spirit. In other words, they are supernatural in their origin and nature. For the sake of argument, Let's assume that the gift of tongues is the ability to speak in a foreign language that you don't know. You come up to me during the worship time and you say, Jeff, I believe the Holy Spirit has given me a message for the church in tongues. And I say, just, just give me one second to open Google Translate on my phone. I take out my phone, open Google Translate, hold it out to you. You miraculously speak to God in an earthly foreign language unknown to you. Google Translate decodes it. And I read the translation to the church. Here's my problem. I don't think it's logical to hold a view that would allow my phone to function as a manifestation of the Spirit. If Brother Samsung can do it, then it's not exactly miraculous or supernatural, right? Therefore, it doesn't make logical sense that the gift of tongues outside the book of Acts would involve earthly foreign languages. If it's a gift of the Spirit, your phone can't do it. When Paul writes 1 Corinthians, the church in Corinth is a mess. Their church was full of new Gentile believers who had come from backgrounds of hedonistic paganism. There was a ton of selfishness, wrong thinking, and carnality that the Holy Spirit was working to sanctify in Corinth. Many of the pagan religions of the day included practices of ecstatic speech. They would generally be alcohol or other substances involved, and they would chant and dance themselves into a frenzy where they would then begin to just speak out in gibberish. And they considered this to be a form of communing with the gods. If you want a modern-day equivalent, just go to a rave where people are popping E and dancing themselves into a frenzy, and then they begin to feel that they're having a supernatural spiritual experience. The only difference is you begin to speak out nonsense, but you're like, this is the language of the gods! And you're, no, you're just high out of your mind, and uh, you've been dancing for seven hours, and you're dehydrated. That's all that's going on. You're going to see a lot of stuff when you put yourself in that situation, I guarantee it. And so the problem was that in Corinth, many of the believers came from those sort of pagan 
cults. And so they were treating the gift of tongues as a means to get high with God. They were working themselves into this frenzy, and then they would just be shouting out over each other and pursuing a transcendent experience with selfish motives. And it was just absolute chaos like in the church. And all they cared about was themselves and their personal experience. In addition to their theological errors, in Corinthians, Paul addressed the deeper issue that was manifesting in all kinds of areas of their church, an overriding lack of love. They were not acting in or out of Christ-like love for one another. 1 Corinthians 13 is known as the love chapter. It's the one that even non-believers love to use at weddings as they delusionally pretend that they're actually capable of loving each other as God loves us. It's the chapter that says things like, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy, you know the one. But in the context of the surrounding chapters, 1 Corinthians 13 is very interesting. Remember that when all the books of the Bible were written originally, they weren't written with verse numbers or chapters. Paul's letter to the Corinthians was just a letter, nonstop. He addresses gifts of the Spirit in chapter 12. He gives instruction on the proper use of tongues in chapter 14. And in between them is chapter 13, where he describes agape love, the love of God. And chapter 13 begins with this verse. If I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul then continues and references other gifts of the Spirit from the previous chapter, writing, if I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So notice, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul mentions the gifts of prophecy, wisdom, knowledge, and faith. So what is he almost certainly referring to in verse 1, where he refers to human or angelic tongues? The other gifts in the list from the previous chapter, tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And he calls it angelic tongues. The entire chapter of 1 Corinthians 14 is devoted to the subject of tongues. And in chapter 14, verse 2, Paul seems to again refer to tongues as a non-earthly language, writing, the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people but to God since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit or mysteries in his Spirit. That same verse also affirms that tongues was not an earthly language in the church at Corinth. Paul says, no one understands the man speaking in tongues, not the local or the foreigner. No one. Clearly, this type of tongues that was taking place in the church in Corinth is not the same type of tongues that was appearing in the book of Acts. When you put these scriptures together, I believe a compelling case emerges for the gift of tongues being a heavenly rather than an earthly language in the church today. 
As I mentioned, the gift of interpretation of tongues shows up for the first time in 1 Corinthians, and Paul lists it as one of the manifestations of the Spirit in chapter 12. The idea behind this gift is that if someone with the gift of tongues speaks out in tongues in the corporate gathering as we're in right now, God will enable the person with the gift of interpretation to understand what was spoken in tongues and share it with the church in the local language. In our context, English. Wherever Paul addresses spiritual gifts and or manifestations of the Spirit, he is crystal clear that their purpose is to build, strengthen, and encourage the body of Christ, the church. When we gather as the people of God, it's all about the we, not the me. And so when it comes to tongues, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, it doesn't do anybody any good if you speak out in tongues and nobody else understands anything you're saying. There needs to be an interpretation so that the body of Christ can be built up and encouraged. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 16, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsiders say amen at your giving of thanks since he doesn't know what you're saying? For you may well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. Jumping back to verse 13, Paul writes, Therefore, the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. So apparently, it's possible for a person to be given the gift of tongues and the gift of interpretation. Then Paul instructs how tongues are to function when the church gathers together. 1 Corinthians 14, 27, he says, If anyone speaks in a tongue... There are to be only two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there's no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. And then Paul concludes chapter 14 by writing, Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything is to be done decently and in order. And Scripture gives us, further clarity regarding the content of tongues, describing the kinds of things a person legitimately praying in tongues says. Earlier we read in 1 Corinthians 14.2, the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. This is huge. To God. So write this down. The gift of tongues is the Holy Spirit supernaturally empowering a person to speak to God. To God. It's not God speaking to man. Tongues are man speaking to God. The direction of the communication is upward. In verses 16 and 17, Paul says that praying in tongues is giving thanks. To God. And in this instance, the book of Acts is consistent with 1 Corinthians. On Pentecost, the crowd that gathered around the upper room said, We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. And when the Holy Spirit came upon the Gentile household of Cornelius in Acts 10, we are told the disciples heard them speaking in tongues and declaring the greatness of God. They were praising God. Here's what we can discern then. If the legitimate gift of tongues 
and the legitimate gift of interpretation are being exercised, the message will be man speaking to God, praising him for his greatness and for his mighty works. It will not be, this is huge, those of you who come from a charismatic background, tongues, if it's legitimate, will not be anything that begins with the words, thus saith the Lord, or God says. It will not be a word or a message for the church. Paul is explicit on this point. And in 1 Corinthians 14.3, he even says, on the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. According to the word of God, when the church gathers, the gift of tongues is man speaking to God. The gift of prophecy is God speaking to man. And we'll talk more about the gift of prophecy when we study all the gifts in a couple of weeks. And I just want to point out, too, something practical while we're there because I was talking with a brother this week and laughing because I've, I've had this same experience. If you've ever been in a church before and someone speaks in tongues and someone brings the interpretation, you just need to know. Jesus doesn't speak King James English, okay? This is a thing in like Pentecostal churches. Usually every Pentecostal church has this one older saint, male or female, someone prays in tongues and that person always begins with, thus saith the Lord, Though thou walkest through a darkest time, my light shall abideth with thee. And you're like, like, what's up with this? Like, like God could keep pace with English and earthly languages, but then around the 1500s, he just sort of ran out of steam and he hasn't been able to keep up with the developments in our language since that time. God doesn't speak King James English, okay? He doesn't do it. It doesn't make your interpretation more legit. Not at all. Just wanted to get that out there. All of this, all this stuff we've been talking about is hugely helpful because when we put it all together, it paints a detailed picture of what the gift of tongues should look like when the church gathers. Someone would speak out in tongues during a quiet moment of worship, loud enough for the congregation to hear, they would not interrupt a song. They would not interrupt the sermon. They would not even interrupt an announcement. Why? Because when the Holy Spirit is legitimately moving, all things are done, as Paul said, decently and in order. Let me clarify this. The, the person sharing a tongue when the church is together doesn't do so simply because they can. They don't do so because they have the gift of tongues, and they could say something in tongues. They do so because the Holy Spirit is stirring their heart and compelling them to share this with the church. It's a compulsion so intense, you feel as though you would be in sin if you did not speak out and obey God. It's a conviction so firm that you are confident the Lord will provide an interpretation. They or someone else would then share an interpretation of that tongue, again, loud enough for the congregation to hear, perhaps on a microphone, possibly after sharing the interpretation with an elder who can verify it. 
As we start to do this at Gospel City in the, the weeks to come, we're going to have things routed through BJ or myself just to try and have some safety measures so that no one can come up and say, Thus saith the Lord, Ukraine is going to win the war against Russia. Resist propaganda. We don't want anything like that to happen in the church, okay? So we're going to probably run some of these things through elders just to make sure there's nothing unbiblical going on. The content of that interpretation, as we've said, must be man speaking to God, not God speaking to man. And if the tongue is indeed a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit, it should be evident. Here's what that means. The interpretation should be glorious and magnificent and powerful praise of God. The interpretation, if this is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit, is not going to be someone coming up saying, God's given me the interpretation. This is what was prayed. God, you're so good. Really, really, really good. Great even. If it's a legitimate move of God, it's going to be apparent. It's going to be powerful and glorious. It's probably going to be something that when the person shares it, you're like, where did that come from? I've heard that person talk. They don't talk like that. What is going on there? Now, if there is no interpretation or if the interpretation offered does not align with Scripture, the person who shared the tongue is to keep silent. It's not like baseball. That's not like, well, strike one, but let me give it another go. That's not it. One time there's no interpretation, Paul says just sort of shut it down. BG or myself in the church context would say, okay, guys, that's, thank you for sharing that. We're just not going to have any more words in tongues uh, for this evening because there wasn't an interpretation brought. And either way, this is to happen with no more than two or three people in a gathering in order whether it's a prayer meeting, a home group, or a church service. Okay, so we've got, a, we've got a pretty good idea of what tongues should look like when it's exercised in a church gathering. But what about when you're on your own, fellowshipping with the Lord in private? Perhaps some of you have heard things like, tongues is a private prayer language. Is there any biblical evidence for that? Yes, there is. In 1 Corinthians 14, beginning in verse 14, Paul says, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you pray with the spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. Get this now. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Paul says, listen, when I pray or sing in the Spirit in tongues, my spirit is built up. But nobody else's is because they have no idea what I'm saying. I'm having a great time. Them, they're just like, I'm glad he's having a great time. And the solution that Paul offers is not ceasing to sing or pray in tongues. He says, when you're with your church family, it's better to focus on exercising the gifts of the Spirit that benefit 
everybody, like prophecy and teaching. But when you're on your own, tongues are a wonderful gift that can build you up in your faith. In fact, I speak in tongues more than all of you. And that's why in verse 5 he says, I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So tongues is a beautiful gift from the Holy Spirit, primarily to help build up an individual's faith. But when we gather together as the church, it's better to be focused on the other gifts that better build up the body. Remember, it's about the we, not the me, when we get together as the church. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul instructed believers to pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Paul refers to praying in a very particular way. He intentionally refers to praying not in the regular sense, but in the Spirit, apparently referencing praying in tongues. And it fits the model of 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul told us that tongues is man speaking to God. When you have the gift of tongues, you can use it privately, on command, to praise God, to share your requests with God, and to intercede, to pray to God for others. The gift of tongues is helpful when you're praising or praying privately and you find the words hard to put together. You want to spend some extended time praising or or, or praying God, but the only words you can come up with are, God, you're so good. I mean, you mean it, but you don't want to just repeat it a hundred times over, right? And you're like, I don't know a hundred different ways to say, God, you're so good. The gift of tongues can help. Likewise, when you're interceding for someone or you're sharing your needs with the Lord or you just have a heavy heart and you don't know how to express it to God, you can think about the Lord as you praise him or or think about the issue that you're praying for and the Holy Spirit will give you words to pray in a heavenly language. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, 15, I will pray with the Spirit and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the Spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. In other words, tongues is not a switch for us to flick where we can just turn our minds off and go into a babbling trance and think we're doing something profound. The private use of tongues is a heavenly language that helps us praise and pray freely without having to put everything into words. With our minds focused on a simple thought, we can praise or pray for an extended period through the power of the Holy Spirit. A few quick points about tongues that that really didn't fit into the flow of this study, but I wanted to make sure that I shared them. Firstly, Scripture clarifies that if the gift of tongues is exercised in a church gathering like this, The word will be from man to God, and it will also benefit the entire congregation. And specifically, it seems to be praise that is spoken in tongues when the church gathers. That seems to be the theme. We see prayer requests and intercession when a believer is praying in tongues privately. But in the corporate gathering, the theme of tongues seems to be praise 
to God, declaring his mighty works, thanking him for who he is, so that people can say amen to that. Paul's writings also seem to clarify that there's a difference between having the gift of tongues for personal use and exercising it in a church gathering. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Paul writes, God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all do miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But desire the greater gifts, and I will show you an even better way. When Paul says, in the church, he's referring to these gifts being used in a corporate setting like a church service. And the answer to his rhetorical questions is clearly intended to be, no, not everyone receives the gift of tongues, and not everyone receives the gift of interpretation for use in the church, for use when the church gathers. Having the gift of tongues doesn't mean you can just speak it over the church body whenever you want. Doesn't mean you can just come to church and say, I've been really craving attention this week. Fortunately, I have this gift that I can use to get the attention of the entire church. It's not that. You can use it whenever you wish privately, but in a church gathering, it must only be used if the Holy Spirit is specifically compelling you and calling you to speak out in tongues. And as Paul points out, not everybody in the church gathering will be called to speak out in tongues ever, just as not everybody will be empowered by the Spirit to operate in the other gifts when the church gathers. And again, we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. I'm not going to address cessationism in this message. Again, that's the view that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, including tongues, have ceased. I might address it in a future message, but, but to be honest, I, I find the argument for cessationism to be glaringly weak. It generally rests only upon one part of one verse, and it requires completely ignoring the context of that verse and what the verses immediately before and after it say. So for now, I don't consider tackling the subject of cessationism to be a good use of teaching time on a Sunday, but if you have a question about that, please feel free to come and talk to me after the service. And then I want to acknowledge just a personal wrestle I have with the concept of tongues in a church gathering. Uh, when we prep our messages, th this is a value for us. It's like we always just want to be honest. Like when something doesn't make sense, we want to say so. And we also want to be humble enough to just admit that we can't figure out everything about whatever we're teaching on in, in one week. There's stuff we still wrestle with, tons of stuff I still wrestle with. And so I just want to confess one to you. I, I get tongues. It makes sense to me for personal and private use. But if I'm honest, I don't fully understand the practice in the context of a church gathering in this sense. I don't understand the reason for the middleman. If it's a word for the church... Why doesn't the Holy Spirit just give that word to someone in English and have them share it with them? Why give it in tongues and then have it interpreted? Why the middleman? If you know the answer, please tell me after the service. I'd love to know. And so I just wanted to say that out loud in case any of you were wondering the same thing. But also, 
to let you know and remind you that we do not withhold our obedience from the Lord until we have full understanding. We obey the Lord when we understand what he wants us to do. We don't obey the Lord only when we understand why he wants us to do it. We often get the why, but sometimes we don't. We obey even when we don't yet have the why, because we do know the who. We know the Lord. We know his character. We trust him, and so we trust his word. And when it comes to the realm of the supernatural and the Holy Spirit, we shouldn't be surprised to encounter a little bit of mystery. The question is, do we understand what his word is calling us to do? And if we do, we do it. I don't fully understand the why of tongues and an interpretation in the church gathering, but it seems to be clearly described in God's word. Therefore, I obey because I know who it is that is calling me to obey, and I trust him. Now, I might be the only one, again, but I also wondered why it's called tongues, plural, if it's a heavenly language, singular. The best explanation I can offer is just that we should not expect a heavenly language to function precisely like an earthly language. For all we know, a heavenly language might include 50% telepathy or something like that. It, it might consist of multiple dialects or even multiple languages that can somehow all be understood in heavenly realms. Suffice to say, we have to hold our earthly paradigms very loosely when we begin to discuss the supernatural and the heavenly realms. And so at this point in the message, you're probably in one of four places. First place you might be, oh my goodness, I'm in a church full of crazy people. <laughs> They're going to bring out the snakes next week. I can, I can see where this thing is going. Whatever they offer you to drink, don't drink it. <laughs> right? If that's where you're at, Okay. But let me just remind you that God is a supernatural being, okay? Therefore, those who follow him should not be surprised to learn there are supernatural aspects to being a disciple of Jesus. Go home, pray about it, but most importantly, search the scriptures for yourself. Don't go to YouTube and just keep looking till you find a video that reaffirms what you would like to believe. Don't go to YouTube and be like, why tongues is a scam. You'll find something. You'll find something that someone put together in their mother's basement, okay? Seek an answer to this question. What does the Bible say? Ask the Lord to give you insight. And if you're sincerely seeking truth, he will give you insight. He will. Second place that someone might be right now is you might be thinking, uh, this seems legit. Like, these are a ton of verses. Seems to be what the Bible is saying, but I am still super weirded out right now. Okay, pray and seek the Lord. But as you pray, let, let him know this. J just make your prayer, Lord, if there's more of your spirit that I could have, I want it. I want it. And then just be open 
to what the Lord might want to do, what he might want to show you. Third place you might be is, I have the gift of tongues. I'm cool. And if that's you, nice. Fourth place that you might be, (laughs) I want the gift of tongues. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, we were told that the believers spoke in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. I know in the book of Acts, that was likely foreign languages, and I know we're talking about a heavenly language now, but, but still the point stands that any manifestation of the Spirit, any gift of the Spirit is given by the Spirit. He enables you to exercise that gift. Here's what that means we got to correct some of our paradigms if you grew up in charismatic and Pentecostal churches like I did. Let's correct some false beliefs we might have. This means that another person cannot teach you how to speak in tongues. Okay? It means you shouldn't be learning tongues from someone saying, repeat after me. Or saying, just, just start saying whatever sounds come to your head. Ah, boom shakalaka. It shouldn't be that. Okay? It means nobody should be offering classes or seminars on how to speak in tongues. Why? Because Scripture says the Holy Spirit empowers you to do it. All you need to do is pray, ask, and then wait and see what the Lord does. And if he prompts you, and prompts your spirit to speak out, obey, obey. But as with anything, if you ask the Lord for anything, you better be prepared to obey him in that. If you don't even believe in God and you ask God to reveal himself to you, you better be ready to believe in God if he does. If you ask God to give you direction for your life, you better be ready to obey him if he does. And if you ask the Lord for the gift of tongues, you better be ready to speak it out if he gives it to you. If not, why would he? Why would he? Just so we can disrespect him? He doesn't play that game. I'm not going to demonstrate tongues for you. Sorry, sorry. (laughs) It sounds something like the words, I should have bought a Kia, but I bought a Honda, spoken really fast over and over. Not legitimate tongues, but it's been said. It's been said. (laughs) If you're ever in a situation in a charismatic or Pentecostal church where you need to fake tongues because you don't have the gift and things are getting awkward, there's your out. This is actionable intel from your pastor here, okay? It's not legitimate tongues, though. Now, I'm not going to demonstrate it for you. I'm I'm not going to have you repeat it after me. Because if you want this gift, I actually believe it would be better. It would be ideal if you had no idea what tongue sounds like. Because it would stop any chance of mimicry or imitation or psychological pressure like the power of suggestion or anything like that influencing you. It would actually be better if you have no idea what tongue sounds like and you go into it asking God for the gift of tongues. That would be ideal in my opinion. If you've been a Christian for a while, you probably know of some weird churches in the area, wherever you live, 
that are kind of like the church in Corinth when Paul wrote to them. They gather together regularly to try and get high with God. They're not operating in the gifts of the Spirit in a manner consistent with Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians. They're not. But on the flip side, you probably know of churches that love the Word of God, believe the Word of God, and believe, therefore, what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians. And yet, you'd never know it because they don't actually practice anything related to the gifts of the Spirit, like tongues. And I have to tell you, as a pastor, I totally get it. In my head, I imagine noticing a new family, some first-time guests in the congregation right before the service and thinking, oh, praise God, he's growing his church, drawing people to himself. And then during the first part of worship, it happens. In between the songs, somebody prays out out loud in tongues, and then there's just silence. Everything stops. BJ slowly walks up to the front, fumbles around with his receiver with the switch because he's totally comfortable with awkward silence like a psychopath, and he... And he takes his time, and, and I'm over there in the front row, and, and there's just sweat pouring down my face. I'm just dying a thousand deaths. I am like fully soaked from head to toe, and BJ's just got his smile on. He's happy, taking his, taking his time not to rush the Holy Spirit or anything like that. And uh, then BJ says, is the Lord giving anyone in the room an interpretation for that? And there's just... More silence. 20 seconds that feel like 20 years. And then BJ says, okay, we're just going to ask everyone then to just keep the gift of tongues to yourself for the rest of the service in accordance with Paul's instructions in 1 Corinthians 14. And worship team starts up the next song. And all I can think of is those people visiting the church and how I will never see them again in my life. And so, so I understand why churches don't want to touch this thing with a 10-foot pole, but, but there are some problems. The Apostle Paul is a problem because he says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. When you examine the context It is clear he's referring to not forbidding tongues when the church gathers. And why do I say that? I say it because many pastors and churches try to play games with this text, and they say, oh, oh, yes, we believe that. And we actually have a prayer meeting on Thursday nights at 11.30 p.m., attended by the same three faithful older female saints who've been going there for eight years, uh, meeting every week, and we allow tongues there, just like Paul said. We're not forbidding anything. Whoa, 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 we're a biblical church. That's not what Paul is talking about. And anyone who is honest with the text will reach that same conclusion. The second big problem with forbidding tongues in a church service is that 
The church belongs to Jesus. It's his bride. It was born of the spirit that he sent. Jesus sets the agenda. Jesus writes the rules. Jesus cast the vision and he shared it with us in his word. So when we read an explicit instruction to his church in his word, we must obey because the church belongs to him, not to us. Jesus has told his church, do not forbid speaking in tongues. He's also told his church that they should desire to prophesy rather than speak in tongues when they gather, and that everything is to be done decently and in order in a spirit of love for the purpose of building up the brethren, the church body. Therefore, here at Gospel City, we will do our best to obey the will and the commands of the Lord Jesus because he is our Lord. And Gospel City Church belongs to him. Next week, we'll talk about, I'm so excited about this. Next week, we're going to be talking about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you this right now. It's going to be one of the most important Sundays in the history of our church. That's right. In all nine months that we've existed, this is going to be one of the most, in history, of all time, all of it. That's right. Next Sunday. I know I said I was going to get to it this week, but you can see why when I started studying tongues in depth, it really needed its own study, and so does the subject of being filled with the Spirit. And then the week after that, as I said, we're going to study the gifts of the Spirit and how, as a church, we can obey the instructions of Scripture and see the gifts, gifts, good thing, see the gifts of the Spirit exercised in our lives personally and corporately as the church. We're in a a challenging but wonderful period of study of the Holy Spirit and how he desires to work in us. So be open. Be open to what the Lord might want to do among us collectively and personally because our greatest goal here at Gospel City is to please Jesus. And because we love him, it's this simple. We want as much of him as possible. If we can have more of his spirit, We want it. We want it. And if we can live and minister in greater supernatural power by the Holy Spirit, we want to. We want more of God's Spirit and more of God's power in our lives, relationships, families, and church. Amen? Amen. Now, in in just a moment, I'm going to pray for the gift of tongues for anyone who wants it. It might happen now. It might happen when you get home. Might happen in one of your devotional times you have this week. Might happen while you're singing along to worship music in your car this week. Will be a little weird if you have a non-believer with you at that time. So I'll just trust that God will do you a solid and pick the right moment. But if you want this gift, make sure, make sure that you get alone with God somewhere you can speak out loud. Ask him for this gift and just see what he does. It is a gift enabled by the Holy Spirit. There's there's no straining on your part in it. It comes from the Holy Spirit.
If you want someone to lay hands on you and pray for you to receive this gift, BJ's going to be in the front row. He's going to be available right on the side, right over there during this whole time of worship. And he'd love to pray with you. He's not going to even pray for anything to happen right now. He's not going to say to you, like, do you feel something? Can you do it? Do it. Just do it. Do it. (laughs) He's not going to do that. He's going to lay hands on you, acknowledge your request to receive this gift, pray for you, and then you're going to go. And as we said, we're just going to leave the rest up to the Lord to choose his timing and just be open. And if he prompts you at any situation to speak out, just, just do that. Just do that. It's not meant to be weird. can't believe I said that about tongues. I know it's still kind of weird, but it's not meant to be weird. Let's pray. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Worship team, would you guys come up, please? Lord, thank you so much that you are a supernatural God. And we experience the benefits of your supernatural nature every day. Jesus, you said, you told your disciples that it would be better for them to have the Holy Spirit than it would be for you to stay on the earth in one place in a human body because the Holy Spirit is with each of us all the time. And so, Lord, we thank you that Because you are a supernatural God, we are supernaturally connected to you and indwelt by you all the time. So we are so grateful that you are a supernatural God. And Lord, we know that you've given gifts to your church of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, here's here's our stance. We just love you so much that if there's more of you we can have, we want it, Lord. If there is a deeper experience, a more intimate fellowship, we want to know it, Lord. We want to know you as much as we can. And Lord, if there's a way that you can use us to build up our brothers and sisters when we gather, Lord, we want to be available for that too. Have your way. Do your work. Let your will be done, Lord. So I pray for anyone in this room who desires the gift of tongues, that they might more effectively and freely praise and pray to you in their personal walk with you. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that they would receive the gift of tongues. That, Lord, there would be an impartation of your spirit and that they would receive it by faith. And when you prompt them to, in the right place and the right time of your choosing, Lord, you would give them the faith to speak that out to speak it out in faith, Lord. So we ask for that, Jesus. Lord, I also pray for every other need represented in this room, Lord. Thank you that you introduced the Holy Spirit to your disciples as the helper, the comforter, the counselor. And Lord, we know among us, Lord, I know in me, Lord, we need the counselor. We need the comforter. We need the helper. We need you so much, Jesus. Every moment, every day. And so I know this message was on tongues, Lord, but you're God. And you can meet any and every need represented in this room. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to do that. We ask you to do that, Lord. And if that's you and you have a need, don't you leave this evening without bringing it to the Lord. We're going to be doing four songs in just a minute. That's ample time to bring your requests to the Lord. Bring your burdens. 
bring your hurts, bring your needs to the Lord. And then, Lord, we also would just say that we desire the gifts of your Spirit to move among us that you might be more greatly praised, that you might be more magnificently glorified among your people, Lord, that your praises would rise in a magnificent way, that your name would be lifted up, Lord God. And so we praise you because you are wonderful. There is no one like you, God, on earth or in heaven. You are unmatched. You are unparalleled. You are without equal. In every sense of the word, there is no scale upon which you could be compared to anyone or anything. You are so holy and distinct. Unlike anything or anyone else, you are completely other. You're the king of kings. You're the Lord of lords. You're the God who can do anything. You're the God who does whatever he wants. And yet, incredibly, your will is that we would know and be loved by you. That's what you want. So thank you for loving us, God. We are so grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us for this study. Before you go, I want to share just a few quick things with you. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then you need to go to gospelcity.ca slash gospel right now. You'll find a short video where we share the best news you'll ever hear in your life. It's more important than whatever else you're doing. So go to gospelcity.ca slash gospel right now to learn more about Jesus. If God has blessed you through this message, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at gospelcity.ca and let us know how God has impacted your life through his word. If you'd like to support the teaching ministry of Gospel City through financial giving, you can do so by going to gospelcity.ca slash give. And finally, I want to invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter for updates and encouragements throughout the week. And you can find all those links in the top right corner of our website. We love you, Uppercase C Church. Be blessed.